0: Hey, everybody. It's Mike Honig from the University Center for Excellence in Disabilities in Iowa City or Iowa said with another episode of Disability Exchange. This is a podcast that has been going now for close to a year. We're very excited about it. We are very privileged to work with the Midwest Public Health Training Center uh, with the University of Iowa College of Public Health to produce these podcasts. Our mission is to center and elevate the voices of people with disabilities and their families. And so we do that by actually doing as close to in-person as we can get. We're doing them via Zoom, obviously, but we're getting firsthand experiences of the individuals with disabilities and their families in a very much of a conversational tone. And we're very pleased to welcome another guest for you to meet, and we'll do that shortly. But first, I would like to turn things over to my illustrious co-host Judy Worth to introduce herself.
1: Illustrious, illustrious, I've been a, I've been accomplished to for a while.
0: Yes, no
1: one uses the, that word in conjunction with my name. <laughs> um, I am Judy Worth, and I work here at Iowa's University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities, along with Mike. And we're really excited today because Nathan Albano has graciously offered to share his story, his life, his ideas and his advocacy with us today. Um, So welcome, Nathan.
2: Hi, it's great to be here.
0: Well, Nathan, um, you are new to us. So we have to confess, well, not really confess, because it's been an honor, but a lot of the people that we have um, interviewed and and you, the listening audience of men, are people that we've known for quite some time, Um, because that was easy to get them to come on talk. And and actually getting you to come talk with us uh, was easy too, because you readily agreed. And, And Nathan, we really appreciate that. So why don't you start by just giving us a little background. Tell us about who you are, what you're currently doing. I, I happen to know that you're a student, but just uh, some of the identities that you uh, would like to share with us and we'll just, we'll, we'll move from there.
2: Yeah, um, my name is Nathan. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I am currently a senior majoring in sociology. So this is actually my last semester and I am the president of UI Students for Disability Advocacy and Awareness, which is currently uh, the largest disability-focused student org on campus. Um, and in addition to that, the Disability Constituency Senator with uh, the undergraduate student government.
0: My first question is, when are you going to shorten your name? I, have used to, I, I was, yeah, uh...
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I should have said it right after, but we just go by used to
0: <laughs> no no. I mean, when are you going to shorten your the org the org's name? Because it's so it's so long. Um or are you? I think you
2: know, we only ever use that full name when we like introduce ourselves. So usually we just go by the acronym. Um, and the acronym is become I want to stay
1: iconic in our little circle. So I don't think it's well then
0: don't change time. it exactly. Yeah.
1: Well, Nathan, you and I have something in common. I see that your hometown is Omaha. Where'd you go to school in Omaha? Uh,
2: I went to Omaha Central for high school.
1: Oh, sorry, man. I went to Westside. You know what that (laughs) means, right?
2: It means we have a bit of a rivalry.
1: Well, we did like 100 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) What brought you to the University of Iowa?
2: When I was looking for schools, I... Was really between uh, UNL, so Lincoln or Iowa, um, and I was thinking about it, and you know, UNL was going to give me a better rate for in-state and more scholarships and whatnot. But I wanted to get out of Nebraska, you know, I wanted to try something new, um, enter a new community to make, you know, new impressions on people. <laughs> Uh, sort of interact daily with people I hadn't known for like 12 years at that point point mm-hmm. um, and when I saw Iowa I just really loved the campus and the city huh. and just how sort of integrated it was um, and just the vibe was great so Iowa was you know not Nebraska but not too far so it was just kind of a good point. Okay. I totally
1: get that I didn't want to go to university of nebraska because it would be like going on with high school yeah yeah you could yeah. be close enough but but not so far away far enough away they couldn't see what you were doing on saturday night the Close <laughs> enough, if you need to be home on sunday you could make it
0: yeah so, exactly are you a sports fan at all was it a, was it a thing to become go from being a husker to a hawkeye or is that not in your
2: i was not raised a husker fan uh, i was exposed to it a lot obviously but i was raised just by my mom who is from Illinois, so she didn't really have any allegiance to the Huskers. Uh, But I have become an Iowa fan, which has annoyed some of my friends back home, but I wear it proudly.
0: Nice. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your connecting with the, the disability world and how you... Came to uh, I so for those of you out there listening, um, I met Nathan actually online for the first time on Friday at a council on disability awareness meeting, which is a another. It's a campus organization that really focuses on an inclusive community on the UI campus and beyond. And Nathan, I was really impressed by how you know you came into a new group and you didn't seem to be intimidated. You were just you have ideas and you've seemed very comfortable sharing them. So tell us about how you got to this point of really owning um, the importance of disability advocacy and, and really getting involved in it.
2: Yeah, um, I don't know where to begin with that story because it's it's a long one. I actually came to the university not identifying as disabled or neurodivergent uh, really in any way. It wasn't on my radar until <laughs> I had some trouble sort of keeping up with classes. Um, Just to make a long story short, and I would love to get into it more later, but I ended up sort of failing a semester and then withdrawing my next one. Uh, And so I was in a place where I was looking for answers and I was meeting with psychiatrists. um, And at my initial meeting actually, within 40 minutes, my psychiatrist turned to me and said, Nathan, have you ever been diagnosed with ADHD? (laughs) And I was like taken back because I had never even considered that. It had never been brought up to me. And so I asked her, you know, why do you say that? And she goes, well, everything you're telling me and everything I've observed from you, it would make sense if you have ADD and just were able to compensate for it up until now. And so with that in the back of my mind um, and with all the trouble I was having in school, I sought out testing. My first testing wasn't very good. It <laughs> was more of like a questionnaire they had me fill out. And it is what it is, but it, it got me enough um, enough recognition from the people I was seeing at Student Health to actually put me on ADHD medication. And so from there, how I responded to it and just all the research I had been doing up until that point uh, by myself looking into ADHD ADD, which is now, of course, ADHD, and attentive type, and neurodiversity, I understood by that point that I was neurodiverse. (laughs) And through that process of not being connected to the community, of struggling in the way that I did, um, and of needing support, and of trying to seek it out, and having to find my own way to that support, I really wanted that community, and I wanted to Give back to it and support it in any way that I could to have people not have to sort of hit their rock bottom to find the community and the support that they needed to. And so, my junior year is when I got involved with Eusta, okay. initially as the events planner. And that was kind of our, our online year. So, there wasn't <laughs> a whole lot we could do with Eusta then. Uh, but now, starting basically this summer, I've been the president of Eusta and I've tried to, well, there have been a lot of things I've had to do um, just to keep the org up and running and get it into a place where it can sort of function on its own again, but really I've tried to emphasize that community and emphasize that just space for people to come together uh, to socialize and to access and connect to resources.
0: You know what really fascinates and interests me, Nathan, is that So I've been, I've been blind since birth. So I've had a lot of time to grow into my disability. And so, you know, I, but I've also worked in the disability rehab field, whatever, for most of my, actually all of my career and, um, and also lived it. And I've run into so many people that once they have been um, diagnosed with a disability, they either deny it. They certainly don't embrace it in many cases. And you seem to have kind of, Done an amazing amount of work uh, within yourself in a short time to get the diagnosis, deal with it in a way that you needed to get back in school, and then and now your see your focus seems to have shifted toward not only helping yourself but helping others, and that's that I think that's very commendable.
2: Yeah, um, I would agree wholeheartedly with what you said. I think so much of the work we do as advocates is just challenging the stigma around disability and around identifying as disabled yourself, especially with people who have invisible disabilities and who were diagnosed late like I was. And I think a lot of it is because um, being raised by my mother, she had dealt with uh, depression. She has like, I don't know exactly what it is, but she had been with uh medication and in therapy for my entire childhood and for well before I was born so I already had exposure to I don't know psychiatry I guess to mental illness and of course disability is not the same thing as mental illness but just things in your life that are kind of outside of your control um, that you have to learn to deal with things that are a part of you like it is for my mother and so because of that disability wasn't as stigmatized as it may be for people who didn't have that exposure growing up. And then, like I said, uh, I just, I was at a place where I needed all the support I could get. Um, And through my own research, after my recommendation, sometimes it was like looking in a mirror. (laughs) And so it just made a lot of sense.
1: Nathan, you've said a couple of times about the support you get. Um, I think that attention deficit disorder, hyperactivity, ADHD, that more people experience it than realize it. And oftentimes it is diagnosed much later. I mean, for our listeners who maybe don't understand that, I mean, how does it manifest and what things have helped make things better and easier for you?
2: I, it's funny to me, um, thinking about neurodiversity because in so many ways, you know, I've connected to the ADHD community. I've done a lot of, you know, of my own looking into it. Um, and in so many ways, I am not a typical presentation of ADHD. And I think that specifically is what's kind of opened my love for just neurodiversity and the concept of neurodiversity. Uh, because you know, I'm an inattentive type and I'm a man, <laughs> and most inattentive types. I believe I don't know the exact numbers, but I know the common stereotype is that hyperactive types are young boys and inattentive types are women. And that's, of course, how they get diagnosed. And it's not how it's actually divided up. If hypothetically, we could look at all brains. But even with that, I always I could sense that there was something else when I was doing my research. And when I was actually tested, there was something else. (laughs) I have dysgraphia and dyscalculia along with a general cognitive slowness in like reading and writing and processing, even looking into types of neurodiverse, neurodivergences, I should say, I didn't fit into one category. Uh, and so talking about the presentation of it, I mean, it's, it changes really person to person and there's so many things that interact with it. Um, you know, just your mental state, if you hypothetically just had ADHD, could change day to day. On how you present it you know different conditions and comorbidities with adhd change how it presents and so yeah that's that's why i love the term neurodiversity <laughs> that's why i identify mm-hmm. as adhd and neurodiverse
1: you know i really appreciate how you're framing this because yes we in, in our world where we know that diversity is good for all of us neurodiversity has to enrich our thinking and how we live in the world And I think when we look at it in that context, we realize that this is, this creates for a healthier um, community mind. But you have mentioned a couple of times about some of the supports you've put in place that have helped you be able to do better. What sort of things are helping you to be able to navigate um, more easily?
2: I have to give a shout out to SDS because accommodations, um, even without medication, was very helpful (laughs) in sort of giving some of the tools that I needed to succeed uh, in this sort of academic environment. And then medication along with talk therapy, which I've been involved with for some time now. All of those things for me have really been essential to allowing me to get back into school from where I was to succeed in school and to succeed in other aspects of my life. Just being able to get medicated and accommodated um, and come back into school, you know, with people I could talk to, with people who I could process things with and plan things with has been, like I said, helpful beyond words. (laughs) I recommend to a lot of Houston members when they talk about how they're struggling, you know, talk to UCS, talk to SDS, and talk to SDS about some of the other programs they have, like Academic Life Navigator and Academic Coaching. I've been in both of those programs since almost since they were debuted a couple of years ago. <laughs> and those have been you, really helpful too.
0: Could you clarify what um, SDS and, and UCS are just for Yeah,
2: folks yeah. Who... So SDS is Student Disability Services here at Iowa and then UCS is our University Counseling Services.
1: And almost every university has those resources available to students. So if you're struggling, At your school, take a look for your disability services and your your university counseling services that are available on almost every campus.
0: This could be a probably a little bit of a mixed bag, Nathan, but how overall have professors, TAs, that sort of thing responded to your um, accommodation requests? And I and I know some of those probably go through SDS, but how has that been a bumpy road or has it gone for the most part pretty smoothly? Talk to us a little bit about that.
2: It's it's funny because even though I didn't have a lot of exposure to accommodations before COVID, I just had one semester at the beginning where um, I gave my professors accommodations and then halfway through that semester we went online. Mm. The difference in having classes that are accommodating just by virtue of being virtual and Having to go to classes at a specific place really changed the reaction to my professors when I would give them my accommodations. I've had some professors who gave me accommodations before my freshman year, even when I was undiagnosed, um, where I would just go to them and I would tell them that I was struggling with depression and anxiety and was trying my best. And some of them were more (laughs) ready to believe me than some others. But I would say the reactions I've gotten, I have gotten some professors, some TAs who I've had to go to SDS with, or who have um, tried to draw a line in the sand. And one of which who actually wrote me a pretty nasty email about, quote unquote, wow. doing whatever I wanted instead of, you know, helping me succeed in the classroom, which is what the accommodations are supposed to do and actually do do. But I feel like my reaction overall has been pretty positive because I've heard from people in USA who have had to argue with almost every single class, every single semester. And I haven't had to do that, thankfully, but there still was a really big learning curve to getting this letter and then knowing what to do with it and knowing what to ask for and knowing what actually works best with my, you know, neurotype and my studying habits. And like I said, the the reaction was really different (laughs) during COVID, during online classes and during in-person classes. I feel like people were much more willing to accommodate when everything was kind of up in the air. For example, I had most of my lectures recorded during COVID. Uh, Even if they were live Zoom sessions, they would record them and send them to me so Mm. I could watch them, you know, at three in the morning and take notes if I needed to. Whereas... With in-person classes, I have gotten a lot of pushback on recording classes and on like getting class notes, things like that, so.
0: It's very interesting. I was curious, cause you know, I, that's one of the things I've never had to deal with. Uh, never questioned my accommodations when I walk into class with a cane, but when you have more of an invisible disability, it can be I'm sure much more challenging, so.
2: Yeah, people question effort and your intentions so much. Um, when you give professors accommodations, you know, be it psychiatric, depression or anxiety and whatnot, or actual, you know, verified <laughs> disabilities. And I think it really just stems from ignorance. You know, people like to think there aren't these <laughs> things that can sort of impede our agency or how we react with the world when there are. Right?
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And, you know,
1: we I, I appreciate you speaking so eloquently about it because I think that so often you're in this place where they go, oh, you're just asking for this because, you know, you think you can. I've been depressed before. I've been anxious before. I sometimes have trouble focusing. So, you know, and I I think that's one of the challenges, especially with, um, as Mike said, some of these disabilities that are less visible, Mm -hmm. you know, um, or just different ways that our brains work. And I think it's harder for people to understand. So um, I think every person who requests and receives an accommodation helps educate our educators more and more about this. Um, So keep up that good work. (laughs) Have you had, I mean, have you had any stories of excellence where you've seen been in classes or in situations where you saw the, the teacher in the class embrace this and run with it in a way that models
2: how it should be done? I really go back to my freshman year, um, when, you know, before COVID, before I was diagnosed or identified with any disabilities or whatnot, and how willing, specifically it was a TA for one of my rhetoric classes, was really willing to work with me, was willing to, for example, let me take the midterm for longer in his office, which, is an accommodation I have now, but at the time it was just something he was willing to do because I was struggling and because I came to him and said, this is something that's affecting my ability to get work done. And so just that willingness to support students without an accommodation letter, without the threat of a disability service, I think is really commendable and I really respect.
0: That's great. Well, part of it is that you spoke up, you know, and and sadly, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think there are a lot of students that may not have been willing like you were to speak up. And I was involved a little bit with USDA when I first, you know, when it first got off the ground, but I've sort of stepped away in recently. But is that something that comes up very often, just in terms of how important it is to be proactive and and encouraging one another to you know, to in in an environment which can be a little intimidating to to speak out and ask for what you need.
2: Yeah, <laughs> a lot of um, what we do in USTA is giving advice to one another. Uh, and accommodations are something that that come up all the time um, about people not understanding what they can expect from certain accommodations, what they can ask for. People not really sure how to. Tell their professors they're not doing enough. How to go and approach their professors in the first place, uh, and so a lot of a lot of the work <laughs> that we do, I say work, it's not really work, but it's just telling people about the experiences we've had. You know, some of our more experienced members saying these are things that I went through, and you should be able to expect from your professors. Um, these are reasons you can go to SDS and contact them if they're not being fulfilled through your accommodations. And also just being in communication with your professors is so important and something that we try to tell people.
0: I think that's that pure support in, in modeling that is super important. Now you said you were a senior. So have you, are you looking toward the future? Are you, any ideas where you might be headed in the next year or two?
2: Well, I applied to graduate school uh to sociology PhD programs at the end of last semester. Uh, and I was really looking forward to that, but unfortunately my luck with admissions has not been good. Um I might not get the chance this year to to go and and, and try that out. But <laughs> so a lot of it has been um figuring out where I go from there. I've I've given thought to getting involved with social work or even with other routes of disability advocacy through employment, whether or not it's at Iowa, um, while I still try to get into graduate school next year and the year after whatnot, but yeah.
1: Nathan, what's your dream job?
2: I still do think I would like to be a professor um, at a research university. Partly because I love sociology and I could talk about it all day. Um, And partly because I have a vested interest in studying and dissecting these forces that I've dealt with in my life. Um, And from understanding comes action that we can take. Right. So understanding what neurodiversity is in a social context. how that interacts with our society and our environment to create depression and anxiety and how that affects people is something that affected me. It still does to this day. And it's something that I would like to research because that field, especially, you know, disability studies, neurodiversity is so young. And for such a long time, even in a field that has done so much work for marginalized communities, it's still, there's a lot more that needs to be done.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You will find there are many, many paths, but Mike and I were messaging back and forth that um, we both serve as core faculty on a project called Leadership in Education and Neurodevelopmental and Related Disabilities, or Iowa's LEND program. Um, And it is a graduate level training course to help build medical professionals, social work, rehabilitation professionals, um, awareness and knowledge of disability-related issues. And it's unique in the respect that it has two additional disciplines in addition to medicine, education, social work, dentistry, OT, PT, speech-language pathology, psychology. Um, no sociology, but there is public health. Um, but we, we have self-advocates, um, people who, ex- who have delivered experience of disability and family advocates who not only learn from the other disciplines, but teach about the lived experience. Um, I would say that if that's something that sounds at all interesting to you, you should reach out to Mike or I after this, because we'd be glad to share that with you or any of our listeners who might be interested in this really powerful program that teaches leadership and self-leadership, how do I become a stronger advocate, to Mm -hmm. systems leadership, how do I change systems within my organizations, within my business to policy leadership at the state and federal level?
0: Yes, we've definitely encouraged that. And, and at the time of this recording, um, we, were, we are actually just in the process of, of completing um, the academic 22-23 uh, application period. So if you are at all interested specifically, Nathan, reach out to one of us very soon. <laughs> uh, for anyone else, reach out to us anytime because this is a, a program that we anticipate will continue into the future. So,
1: And it's Iowa's LEND, L E N D program. And if you put that, you Google that, you'll get our webpage on it. So Nathan, I have a question for you. I am a neurodiverse individual. I'm about to come to the University of Iowa. What advice would you give me? as I enter into this academic adventure.
2: I would tell you um, to get into contact with SDS and to see what accommodations you qualify for um, and to go through that process and to get a letter, even if you don't plan on using it. And I actually know quite a few people with ADHD who don't get accommodations, but even I think if you are not planning on using them, you should have them. It's a process that's completely free, by the way, as long as you have had some kind of medical provider say that you have these things. It's a very easy process. But on top of that, I would also say just be prepared to have an adjustment period in college because everyone has one and it is just that much, um, I don't know if harder is the right word, but more impactful for people with neurodivergencies, because even, you know, if you had a job before, it's very different than that. There's just the structure of high school, um, the structure of maybe living and working in a space where you know people and have a community and have places you need to be at certain times is very different (laughs) in college. And so, you know, just prepare yourself for that.
0: Very, very sound advice. <laughs> so, and we're kind of going to go from that end to maybe the other side of the spectrum, I guess, as we sort of begin to wrap up here. In the short time, that, you know, you've uh, identified as neurodiverse and having a disability, you've accomplished a lot. What would you like to be remembered for? What would you consider as a legacy of what you're accomplishing and hope to accomplish?
2: I hope to leave this semester... Um, Knowing that USTA is in a place where it can keep doing what it's doing, um, where it can keep getting better and get more engagement from more people over time and just have a solid foundation of people, of culture, of ideas to keep it running. And also something I've been trying to do that I need to start putting more effort into the next couple of months is getting um, energy built up around a disability cultural house because mm. it's something you've in years past has talked to the administration about something that hasn't happened yet, obviously, but there is a new, I guess, community of those houses that is gonna be built within the next 10 years on Hubbard. And they don't have plans currently to include a disability cultural house. Uh, and so I just think having a location for our community outside of SDS, you know, a student-led location would be very helpful. So those two things really is what I hope I can tell myself (laughs) at night after I'm done with this degree.
0: And you certainly are making a mark um, in a big way at the University of Iowa in the disability space and the neurodiversity space. And it's really going to be fun to see where things go for you and just, to work with you short term and hopefully longer term, but at least, you know, right now we have a, with the uh, Judy Human visit coming to Iowa, um, lots lots of stuff, exciting stuff going on here in the next couple of months.
1: And Nathan, my superpower is to be able to see other people's superpowers. And I believe that we're going to see a whole lot more of you, that as you, your, your passion, and your ability to articulate and your desire to create community um, is going to massage itself out in ways that you don't yet even know. Keep hanging with us, and we'll we'll bring you around too. Um, but I just I, you you have what it takes, and um, your courage to share with us as honestly as you have today, and to help other people see because there's too many people who enter into the, post-secondary options and struggle and never know why. Yeah. And you've succeeded. You're graduating.
2: <laughs> Thank you. As, as someone who um, got some bad news last night about my grad schools, I, I really appreciate that.
1: Well, in the immortal words of Ross Perot, when he ran IBM, he used to tell sales, salespeople, you're going to approach people and they're going to say no. Well, you take as later. And you keep going back because 70% of those no's will become yeses. And that same thing will be true for you. Um, And that no, as we've heard many times in this podcast, leads people to someplace better.
0: Absolutely. I, um, oh, I didn't technically get fired, but I was going to at a job about a little over 30 years ago now. And, um, I saw the light in time, and I got out before. and And they actually gave me recommendations if I were leaving, which was I found very ironic. But anyway, <laughs> the the short story of that is it led me into my work as an independent living specialist with a nonprofit center for independent living, which in turn led me to the university where I've been spent um, almost thirty years. Um, and they said no to me, and I, you know, it was very, very hard. Initially, when that was going down, and we're not glossing over that, I'm sure it was very difficult news. But um, you are so articulate and so willing to share, and committed to supporting not only yourself but others. That that's going to take you very far, and we're really very sincere about that.
2: Thank you. It's it's been great um, talking to both of you. This was a a great way to spend my afternoon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can only ditto that.
0: Absolutely. And with that, I would just like to thank you, Nathan, for, for spending your part of your afternoon with us. And we want to thank our listeners for hanging with us and, and following our podcast. Um, we encourage you to stay tuned. We will be having uh, a number of podcasts coming up in the near future. And thanks again to our partners with the Midwest Public Health Training Center and wish all of you uh, well. And thank you once again, Nathan, for your time.
2: Of course. Thank you.
1: Thank you for joining us today on Disability Exchange. Disability Exchange is produced by the University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities, which is housed at the Center for Disabilities and Development at the University of Iowa. Special thanks to Kyle Delvaux for the music contribution.